are live here on March 26th, 2021. Justin Spaulding, this is The Justin Spaulding Show, episode 14, already on 14. I say that every week, we're already on. every. every it's like, but hey, we're just being consistent. We're moving along week by week and it's just flying by, having fun doing this. I love it. This is actually one of my the highlights of my week. You know, We're now spending it with Maudine here, who's kind of our producer, I guess, You know, if he, if he wants that high of a label. Um, yeah, this kind of stemmed a little bit from Ryder's Ryder's uh, Ryder's comment back in December, a couple months back, and said, "Hey, we should start a, a podcast." I'm like, "All right, let's do it." And we started that week, so been going every single week strong since then. Not going to stop now. We're going to keep going, keep pounding through, keep giving you guys content. I know a lot of questions. We're gonna basically today's episode is going to be all about Prime Painters, how I started it, uh, how I started to scale it, how much money I used, and the first things I did, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I reached out. I've been getting the question a lot. I mean, beginning this question a lot. How'd you start Prime Painters? Why'd you why, why'd you think of doing it? What you know, you have all this other stuff going on. Isn't your time better spent just in the real estate? Blah 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 blah. And I just want to be able to. I, I'm getting enough questions on. I'm like, let's just make an entire show. And who knows? This might end up just being two shows. But let's just take an entire show and just go through like my mindset with it, um, and just kind of everything that we've done. And and maybe we will. Maybe we will make this two shows. Maybe we'll make this show right here all about it. And like from my perspective, I'll answer questions that we have so far. And then I think from our audience, they can dive in on even even deeper. If they watch the whole episode, they can dive in even deeper on certain questions. Maybe so maybe we'll see. We'll see what type of feedback we get. If we get enough questions after this episode. So pay attention to this episode. Whether you're listening, watching, um, you know, maybe watch it twice, whatever. But the things that I say, you know, you know, pick up on certain things and, and just listen and write down any questions that you have. If I don't end up answering somewhere along the way in this episode, if I get enough questions, quality questions like that, that make me dive deeper in to give you a little bit better context, a little bit different angle, viewpoint, so it makes more sense in your brain, because that's what this is all about, uh, then we'll, we'll do a follow-up show to this following this one, which would be episode 15. Yeah. Um, diving deeper into it'll be like the prime painters deep dive or something I don't know so you know just high level a lot of people and let me just kind of look at the questions that I've got so so some of the questions that I've got and kept throughout the the last handful of weeks you know walk us through the first 60 days of starting let me see of starting that business uh, and then there's another question here what is the biggest thing you've learned after one year slash what changes are you making to improve so it's a lot of questions like that. Do you plan to keep Prime Painters local or do you want to scale it to max it out? Then there's questions such as, you know, how did you initially fund it? Was it some of my own money along the way or is this more organic growth and, and bootstrapping? Um, another question was, how have you gone about hiring and knowing what roles you need for the business? There's another question, how much knowledge did you have about painting when you started? If it was little, how did that impact your approach to starting the company and hiring people? Another question is, how involved are you with the company? Have you ever used a paintbrush on one of your jobs? Or are you more strictly a manager of the company and more hands off? And then um, why did I decide to start Prime Painters? How I started it? Um, was there a course that you took? Did you have mentors? How did you know like the benchmarkings and how to quote jobs? So all of these are awesome questions. And, and I've been getting, like I said, I've been getting so many of them that I'm like, I wanna just create a whole show. And I've been responding to certain people have been asking the question, hey, we're just gonna create a whole episode around this and they're like super jacked for the episode. So hopefully this is a good episode. Hopefully I give you guys what you want and what you need. Maudine, before we get started into this, if you wanna hand me the 3M paper over there, the sticky paper, just in, just in case I decide to start 
drawing. You know, never know. Never know when we might start to get crazy in here. Um, so I guess if I just start with the high level, why did I start Prime Painters? You know, I looked at it, and as we've been growing, right, we've, you know, we started at four apartments. We started with another four. We got another four apartments that took us to eight, bought 150 storage units that also had five apartments on it. You know, that took us to 13. Then we bought an 88 unit. We bought a 24 unit, a 40 unit. And we're, and, you know, looking at those financial statements, I see the cash outflow necessary to turn these properties around. So I see that outflow. But then I also see the relative, this, this type of service and the actual product that we're giving, getting for that outflow. And for a long time, I've looked at certain areas and I'm like, man, this service, the quality of the service, the quality of the customer service is not adequate for what we're trying to do. There's lack of communication. There's a lot of holes and a lot of uh, issues the way that we were operating. And so finally, you know, I, I you know, it was March, you know, 2020, right? So I started Prime Painters in the middle of COVID, right? Everyone's freaking out, shutting down doors. I start a painting company, okay? It's a good lesson right there in itself. When everyone's panicking, what do you think you got to do? We hear this over and over again, right? That the most successful investors make their money when there's panic because that's when they're going to go in and invest, right? Everyone's panicking and I'm like, hey, I'm just going to go forward. I'm going to start this business right now. Right. So in the face of fear, I didn't just back down and go worry. I'm like, hey, how can we turn this into opportunity? And the opportunity for us at that point was for our company. You know, we had two apartment buildings, one right behind me here, Signature 23. And then um, Broadway. Yeah, it was Broadway Square. We were going to paint all the common areas. So we started to get some of the bids and I'm looking at these bids and I'm like, my God, these bids are just out of this world, like crazy expensive. And I just started. All I started to do was like, if I were to paint that wall right there, how long would it take me, right? And I would compare that to like what, and I would break the bid down to like that one wall. I would be like, okay, and then of the, the bid that they gave me, how much, what percentage of that wall would be the bid? And I started to think, I'm like, my God, like it's, it's like 80 bucks, 90 bucks, and that wall would take me an hour. And that bought, so like in my mind right there, $89 to paint that one wall, I'm like, if I can hire someone from between $14 to you know, $19 and 50 cents, 20 bucks, we can go out and do this actually for less for the property was my initial mindset, save the property money and, and then start a side business, start another business essentially that, that, offer, that can offer our properties a better, a better service, a better level of service. They'd be sister companies, right? Prime Painters and Spalling Group would be sister companies. So now we have people working together. The communication should be better. Um, there should be more care in the project. We should get a better product for a cheaper price. So that was my initial thought. Now come to find out, skipping a little bit, just talking about the price thing, I couldn't actually operate Prime Painters being more competitive in price. So we're actually more charging our properties retail, but the level of service and the quality of product and the timeliness from which we can get something done is so much better that it's a huge benefit for the properties um, to be able to pay the same, what they were paying before and get a better service, better product, right? Better value. So, you know, the first project then what I did, and so as I'm thinking about this whole thing, I'm kind of back to the whole big idea. Now, as I'm thinking about this whole thing of hiring people, I'm like, all right, I can hire one guy to do this building. I can hire another guy to do that building. If it's just one guy working on the projects, it'll take them a couple of weeks, bigger, bigger building, right? It'll take them, you know, seven to 12 working days, right? And so I'm like, in that seven to 12 days, I need, I need to be able to then dig up more work that those guys will be able to go do after. 
and it can be at our properties if we have turns or more painting to do, or it can be retail customers. Ideally, I wanted to grow the retail side of the business. I didn't want to just, I used our properties to help get started, right? But, uh, and I'm going to go into why you don't have to have that. I was lucky enough to have it. I put in the work before where I had properties that need painting, so it helped us get a start, right? I got two guys on board. While those guys were two on board painting our properties, I was out marketing. I just took stock photos from online. I went online and did before and after house painting, you know, interior, exterior. So I took stock photos. So they weren't even projects that we did. Now, some people are like, well, that's a scam or that's whatever. It's a scam if your intent is to tr truly scam people. My intent was to actually provide a really great customer experience for anyone, any project that we would do. And we've gotten really good reviews. We've gotten really a lot of referrals from people that we've done work for. So we're, we're, tr we're making, I think that we're providing a great service to the community. So, but that's that was my creativity. Okay, I don't, and, and that's what you could do. You know, if whatever business you're doing, you can always find someone else's track record, which in this scenario, it was before and after painting, someone else's before and after paint, paint, paint projects on Google, right? And, and use those for advertising. And so I put to put together some advertising to see what type of traffic we would get. And all of a sudden I started through Home Advisor, Craftjack, Thumbtack. Now you have to pay for those leads, 20 to 60 bucks, right? Um, and we started to get traffic. Now, if you don't have the money to use Craftjack or Thumbtack or you know to pay for advertising, you can go door to door, which we're actually we're having we're, we're starting with two marketers on April 6th. They're starting with us. One's an intern and one's a full-time marketing. Uh, marketer, they're going to go door knocking. So if you're looking at this, oh, but Justin, I don't have apartment buildings to start my business. I don't have, you know, and all this advice I'm about to give you too isn't just good for painting, right? You got to be able to take the concepts and apply it to whatever type of business is out there. All right. But if you got, if, if it's specifically painting, you gotta be like, oh, Justin, I don't have the resources. I don't have the apartments to get me started like that. I don't have the money that you have to get me started. Like, right. You can go knock door to door. And if you go knock on a hundred, on a hundred doors a night, you will find over a course of a week, you will find three to six painting jobs that you'll be able to do. You got to be able to talk to people. You got to be able to network and you got to be able to put yourself out there. But if you go knock on doors, 500 doors in a week, you'll find at least three to five, three to, you know, three, five, six, maybe a max of 10, if you're really good houses that you'd be able to paint. And now you're off and running, right? So don't think you have to have all these resources. I was lucky enough to have it but you don't need it, right? Now, when we got the property rocking and rolling, we started to get some revenue. I just basically started investing all the, the proceeds, the profits back into the company. So I was only out, when I started Prime Painters, I was out about $4,000. Now, I think you could definitely start with less than $4,000. For example, I knew this was something that we were gonna use at least for our own properties. So I started our own LLC, separate LLC, right? So I had attorney fees that you probably wouldn't, you would not have to have right away. I had, you know, documents that you wouldn't have to have right away. Um, I got, I went above and beyond on the equipment that I had because I knew what was gonna happen if, if I only bought just the bare minimum, and if I only spent like $100 on equipment versus spending $2,000 on equipment, I knew then what would have to happen is a week and a half later, or three weeks later, I'd have to just go buy more materials. I wanted to save, I need more time back. Some people need to save a little bit more money. I needed to, I needed time back. So I cut a little bit bigger check up front for a little bit more equipment so I wouldn't have to go get as much and cut my days up in the middle, right? So you can start for less than, way less than $4,000 you can start a painting company. That $4,000 also went towards 
getting those guys started before we had revenue come in. I, I wanted a little bit of a cushion there. So you can probably take that away because you might not have people. You may or may not have people that are painting for you. You might go out and touch the paintbrush yourself, which is fine. Like you might have to straight up bootstrap it that much. When I say I bootstrapped this, I bootstrapped it, but I didn't bootstrap it to the point where I've done any painting. I have done zero painting. How much about painting? I know one of the questions that was asked, how much about painting did I know before this? I mean, I knew that we painted walls gray in our apartments, right? I didn't know a lot. So here's the next topic, right? You can, you can again, just like I talked about with the marketing and stuff, every, you know, most businesses that are out there are not, I talk about this a lot, are not Teslas. Like it's not some type of crazy science or, 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 or you know, intellectual property um, or, you know, some secret formula, you know, like Tesla got a little bit of a secret formula for anyone to just go start that a company like it is going to take a lot of knowledge, a lot of, you know, whatever anyone can go do it, but a painting company, right? There's a ton of painting companies out there. So what did I do? I had, I all the time and telling people, Hey, pour money back into yourself and learn, right? Whatever you want to do, it can be learned. No matter what they say, it can be learned. So you got to find someone though who's successful that you can listen to, and you can't listen to too many people because if you listen to too many people, you're going to be frozen. You'd be like, "Oh wait, should I listen to Jim or should I listen to Bob?" Because Jim says A and Bob says Z, and I'm just stuck in the middle and I can't choose which way to go. Right? So you got to choose one. So what I did was I went online and I just started googling painting, like online painting. I think I Googled starting my own painting business and I stumbled upon, um, uh, this is bad that I can't think of the name now, but it's painting business pro, I believe. And they're out of Colorado and I took their course. I paid 2000 bucks. I took the course, right? Now, once again, there were other options for the course. I didn't have to start at 2000. I did because I knew that was going to give me everything and I could just sort through what I needed to see. Did I watch the entire course? No. What I was looking for was some standard operating procedures so that I knew when I hired the painters that, hey, this is what we're gonna operate by. I knew we were operating then with a guideline and a baseline that was gonna get us good results. And I, I didn't have to have someone that was a super talented paper, painter, but as long as the guys had some experience, we'd be able to work from the standard operating procedures that I got from the course, right? I paid $2,000, like I got a $2,000 course out there. People are like, oh, but you don't buy stuff like, dude, I buy stuff like that. I pour into myself. I bought the course, didn't watch the whole course, but I took what I needed. I took what I needed to get the business started. So I take the course, we get the standard operating procedures as far as like how to paint an exterior house, how to bid an estimate and how to get an estimate on exterior, how to do the same thing for the interior. Right. And that's all we started with. We just started with interior, exterior of houses. And obviously we we're painting our apartments as well. But other than our apartments, it was just interior, exterior of our uh, of, of other people's houses in the in the community. And so we had the standard operating procedures. Um, I made sure that I sat down with the two guys that I hired and said, hey, these are our standard operating procedures. Here we go. They agreed. They had some experience. Right. Paid paid the guys, you know, around I don't know, between 17 and 18 dollars to start, I think. Um, and so they had experience. Um, they agreed, hey, yeah, these look good and let's go. So then what happened when I unleashed them on our own project, when I unleashed them, started unleashing them on the retail projects, I would get out there and double check, right? Because the last thing that I wanted was me to not really understand what I was doing, but then also get painters that didn't know what they were doing and now end up in a pickle where I've got a $3,500 $3, paint job on an exterior of a house and 
we just messed up the first half of it and we wasted 1600 bucks essentially now got to fix the problem we get 3500 dollars for the job but the job cost us 4700 dollars right because we had to fix our problems so i really watched those first couple jobs to make sure the guys were good right and we had one really solid guy clark still with us crushing it um and so i just at that point after clark did two or three jobs for us it was to the point where like here's the scope of work clark go at it right? Go get it, go eat. And that's what he would do, right? And then we just kind of kept scaling and we kept getting, we got a painter that would work under him. And then I got another lead painter and we're up to eight painters, I think right now. So that's kind of how it started. No, I did not pick up a paintbrush, believe it or not. But what I'm good at, because I'm not good at that stuff, right? But what I am good at is marketing. What I am good at is, at, at is branding. What I am good at is sales, right? So I did focus on, on those three parts out of the gate about two months in three months in we hired a, a sales rep right we hired a project manager so we just started to make these hires once our company grew and but now that takes me to the next part it's like how do you know when you're at that point how that was one of the questions is how do you know when to hire employees for this and how do you know when you could afford it and so um in that course that I bought, imagine that, in that course that I bought, I paid $2,000. That course is, I mean, I could have paid $20,000 for that course. It'd still be worth it. The people that have bought my course for $2,000 or whatever it's priced at right now, it's, in my opinion, if you, if you talk to the people that have used it and actually implemented the things in there, it's worth, uh, worth $50,000, $100,000, depending on who you talk to, they might say $500,000 course. Um, but in this course, they had basically benchmarks for the industry. And so the benchmarks were basically your cost of goods sold should be 47%, right? And now the reason, I, now let me, let me get to the point here because some of you guys are like, Justin, I don't want anything to do with the painting business. That's fine. But now this is still, all this is still a good learning lesson for, for you. Because whenever you start a company, you got to decide what you're good at, what you can do, what you need to offload, right? Then the next part is understanding like the financials of it. You have to know, I have this conversation with Ryder all the time because Ryder will come in and he wants to win every, he's competitive, he's good at sales, but he wants to try to make every single deal work. He wants to turn every estimate into a job. And so he'll come in and be like, man, this job's $4,200, but I think, I think I overbid it. I think we can come down to like 3,000. I said, dude, I'm not effing doing that because I'm not getting to a position where we're losing money. Like our price is our price because I know what it costs to run our business. Now that's different for everybody, right? We have an office here. We now have trucks, we have people, we offer really good benefits to our people. Not that you have to start with all this, but wherever you're starting and as you grow, you have to know what your expenses are so that you know what to charge so that you can make money, you can cover your expenses that are directly related to the job, on the job site. You can cover all your other overhead that's a part of the business that's not directly on, on each job site. And then you can also have a profit, right? What is the point of, of you know, there's so many, especially in the contracting industry, but so many businesses in general, there's people that will charge $1,800 for a project. Yeah, I'll do that for $1,800. They get excited. And then like three weeks later, like, oh shit. Because they just realized that, that it cost them $2,100 to perform that work, right? Because they don't know, or, and a lot of times actually people will go a full year, then realize, oh wait, I'm, I'm running into money issues. They didn't know that, they thought all along they were charging $1,800 for this project two thousand dollars for that project they thought they were making money all along because of how the cash was hitting the bank account and everything but all of a sudden it catches up to them and slowly they're out like out of cash in the negative don't have any cash flow it's because they don't know how much their services actually charge or cost their themselves to, to produce and they sometimes don't 
they underestimate how long something's going to take, which also eats into your cost because if it takes longer, it's going to cost more. So I found benchmarking and I got that from the course once again. And I didn't just listen to anybody. The guy that I did the course from, Eric Barstow, he's he's uh, very well known in the painting industry. Um, his business, I don't know. I don't. He's never said. I would I would imagine that his business probably does seven million, ten million dollars a year in revenue. Is my guess just from just from what I've heard him say and doing the math in my head and being a business person, I can kind of, you know, read through some lines there. That's my guess. Uh, it could be a lot more than that. I could have definitely, Eric, sorry if I offended you there. It could be definitely more than that. Um, so I'm not just listening to anybody, but I take these benchmarks and I would say that these benchmarks that I was using, and I'll go over them in a second. And I know that some of you are listening. If you're listening, I would highly suggest go back and watch this just in case in a little bit I do get carried away and we start writing on the board in here and it's on a video. I'll do my best to explain it as much as possible. But when you're doing the benchmarking, you know, there's a lot of people that there's benchmarks out there, but they're not as successful benchmarks, right? So the benchmarks that I went by, cost of goods sold should be 47%. Well, what's cost of the job, right? So if I have, if I, if I charge $100, that means of that $100, $47 is going to go towards the cost of goods sold, which is materials and the labor, right? Well, in this scenario, are you know, and typically the labor should be between 32%, well, let's see, 40, uh, 35% and 40% is where it should be. So every $100 that you charge, it should, 35 of that to, to 40% of that, 35 to 40 dollars should go towards labor now the labor is going to cover you know it's going to cover their gross wages but also if you offer benefits so if you offer insurance pto uh 401k or anything like that right all of that has to fit within there so that gives you an idea of how much more you need to charge in comparison to the labor right so if we have total cost of goods sold around 47 to 50 percent and if painters are if we're paying you know for us if we're paying our labor 35 to 40 percent our materials got to come in somewhere between 10 and 15%, right? And so our whole first year, um, we, we were about actually about 16 or 17%. And so since then, just recently here as the start of 2020, 2021, I showed our sales rep um, at Sherwin-Williams who we use, I showed our sales rep how much we'd done in business in the first year. And he's like, holy crap, most guys, like this is, this, it was actually the first like seven months of operations, six months of operations. He's like, most people hope to do that, you know, by the time they're in business for six years. Most people hope to do like one-tenth of that in their first year when they're opening a painting business. And so I started to get, man, if I can drive volume and help this guy, help Sherwin-Williams, give Sherwin-Williams as much business as possible, I bet I can get a lot better pricing. So I told Sherwin-Williams, I said, we'll stop buying ladders and everything from Home Depot and, and, and Menards. We'll shift anything that we can buy from you. We will shift over to you. All I ask is you give us the most competitive pricing ever. I want to be around 10%, 11% of my materials to revenue. I will buy everything from you if you can be competitive. And they got super competitive. So right now, you know, our our labor, you know, if cost of goods sold, if if you know they're they're saying, hey, be between forty seven and fifty percent. Right now, our labor is sitting has been sitting between thirty two percent and thirty five percent. Our materials for this year has been sitting around you know eleven percent. So we're crushing it there, right? And people are like, oh, your labor, you know, the labor cost. It sounds like you have a couple percentage points there to go up. You're being cheap on people. No, we're actually being very competitive. I've got lead painters that came to us now from other painting companies here in Southern Wisconsin 
and they said you're more competitive by far what you are paying your very beginner painters is what some of the best painters and the top lead painters and master painters at these other companies were being paid so when you look at our pay schedule schedule very competitive right which for me that's important because i'm looking for specific type of people i'm not just looking for you know a drugged out painter like i'm looking for people who work hard who are going to show up who are results driven who um you know who want to get better who look at it as a craft and want to get better every single day at their craft right if you're looking at those type of character people you can't just pay them you know 11 bucks an hour it's just not going to happen in that industry right so when you look at painters like they've been getting paid our, our painters have been getting paid anywhere from $13.50 to you know, $13 to about $20. Much more competitive than the marketplace, right? Now, not all of them started where they're at, but as they've grown, we've been able to get them more. All right, that's that. Marketing. Marketing is, they recommended 5%. I'm getting out of second here. Marketing is 5% of of cost of goods sold. But what I did was I looked at marketing and I said, we gotta get some air focus. But, but I looked at marketing and I said, I said, hey, I'm gonna use this as marketing, yes. I'm gonna do the 5%, that's gonna be my goal, right? Everything that I was watching, they wanted 5% of the revenue to be towards marketing. If you're spending more than 5%, you're spending too much on leads, just, oh yeah, thank you. Um, you're spending too much on leads, you know, don't do it. So me, I'm like, okay, well, I'll try to watch that number, but then I'm also going to have a subset category in marketing that's called branding. And branding is going to be things that aren't just going directly towards getting leads. So branding could be, you know, more, more clothing and swag. Branding could be, you know, billboards for us, or it could be all of this. But for us, branding was more general type ads on Facebook to cast a wide net. Right, so I didn't care with that portion of money if it didn't have a return right away. You don't have to do this right away, right? I'm trying to scale a very big business. I want to be recognized, so I, I, and and I could have cash flow be a little bit tighter in Prime Painters. That helped a lot already. I, I could have cash flow be a lot tighter in Prime Painters because I could make it up somewhere else. I didn't need this. If you're looking to need it, maybe you skip that for now. And that's fine, right? The cool thing, if you actually really want to grind and if you start a business from from nothing. You go out, you do the door knocking, you get those jobs, you do the painting. You could essentially have no marketing costs. And really, your costs, your time costs would be the, the, the labor costs, right? And then you should scale from there. So you, ne you don't even necessarily need the, the marketing. I'm just looking at it from my standpoint and my thoughts. At some point, you're going to want that. You're going to want to scale. You'd never want to keep a business small forever. It will eat you alive. Your competition will eventually kill you. Um, capitalism will eventually kill you. And scaling is always a way to go. It's the same thing when I'm talking real estate. I'm always talking more units in one spot, more units in one spot, more units in one spot because you have scale, right? So with this, it's like, here's our footprint and let's get as many jobs in this footprint as possible to dominate that market, to have a scale economy in that market so that we can continue to grow. So that on top of our employees being, you know, the, the painters being very competitively compensated for the work they're performing, to then also hopefully be able to bonus them out at the end of the year, right? You can't do that if you're small. You can't do that if you're charging bare minimum, right? You can't do that if you don't know what your costs are all along the way and can't appropriately, you know, can't correctly bid a job to the price point it needs so that you have the leftover resources, aka money, to be able to do those things.
Then I've got, you know, then on here is there's cost of sales, which, you know, go into a sales rep, right? I've got a cost of 7% here. We pay a commission of 5% to our sales rep. Just because we pay them 5% doesn't mean that's our actual cost. Our actual cost on the sales rep is closer to 7% because we have the, we have the, the benefits. We pay the 5% commission, but then we have the benefits. We have, um, we have the payroll tax. Um, so there's other things that you need to be aware of in it. You gotta know the truth. You gotta know your stuff. It's a big difference, right? 5% here, you know, 2% here that I miss out, 2% there that I miss out. It's a $100,000 business of year revenue. That's an extra $4,000 right there, gone on top of everything else, right? Project management. Project management also is about 5%. So usually what you'll do is you'll hire someone that, and I'll go through our, the different parts of our company and the processes in those departments and stuff like that in a second. But we've got a project management department We'll typically, it'll, it'll typically, you'll, you'll pay someone about 5% gross wages of your revenue to have them manage projects, right? Whether you actually pay them like a production bonus based on how much they successfully produced or it's a salary, whatever, their gross should be about, you know, 5% roughly, right? Now, once again, you're probably not going to have that person right away. You're going to need scale, right? But I wanted these benchmarks right away so that I could start to get to the point of scale and start to see it. I, I had to know where I needed to go. I had to have the vision, right? Project management though, also if we're paying them, once again, we have the benefits, we have the payroll taxes, et cetera, et cetera, workman's comp, you know, whatever, all that junk. So I would put for 7%. Obviously as you're growing, if you have, you know, overhead with trucks, trucks, if you have other equipment that needs servicing, if you have office space, if you have utilities at the office space, if you have accounting department, you're going to obviously have more overhead. So you're going to have admin costs of anywhere in, in other costs, admin facility and other costs that will be anywhere from two to 10% in aggregate, right? So now if I add all that up, I know, I know my costs, right? I should have this much profit. So now when it comes to selling the jobs, right, we got to make sure that we're accounting for all that. So we have, we basically have a formula, right? So we'll go out and do a job. We know about how much, and, and there's standard, um, there's, a, there's a magazine that I got from the, P, here's another investment, right? The PCA, the Painting Contractors Association. They have benchmarking, they have books, they have education. For a hundred bucks, I bought two, uh, two little binders, and one of those little binders have the average production rates across the industry for all types of different painting. And this includes drywall repair, popcorn ceiling removal, painting of walls, painting of steel, painting of aluminum, priming, you know, rolling, brushing, uh, spraying, caulking, anything that, wallpaper removal. It's like seven straight pages of just different production rates and it shows how many square feet, linear feet of trim, you know, whatever that people can do on average per hour. Right now, the, the bad thing about that is it's average, right? So when you get average, sometimes you're gonna hire people, some people are above average, some people are average, some people are below average. So we just started using the averages, right? So if in the book it said, hey, they can paint on average 300 square feet, uh, you know, a gypsum board wall or drywall type walling that's already primed and everything, it's got texture on it, an average painter, according to the PCA, can do 300 square feet per hour, well, guess what? We're gonna go into the house when we get a lead and we're gonna count 
basically and do calculations on how many square feet that we're painting. If they want these six rooms done, we're gonna take measurements, know how many square footage. Now with the square footage, we can convert that into a production rate for labor. We can take the square footage and know how much paint that we're gonna need because guess what? On the gallons of paint, imagine this, Sherwin-Williams, they have, there's a range on the bucket of paint. It says this, you know, one, one gallon will cover it's usually a number between 250 and 400. All the different paints have a different number. So we look at that and what, what type of paint does, do the people want? What price range they want to be in? Once we figure that out, we know how many gallons of paint that we need, right? We figure up all of our costs. And we basically take that cost between the materials and the labor and we divide that by 0.45. And then that gives us our total. So we know the costs. We know what we're dividing by to get our total. We have the charge, we write up the contract, here we go, we get a signature, we're rocking and rolling, we get a 25% deposit. Hey, the project manager will be in touch with you over the next couple of weeks, your job will start 30 to 60 days from now. We're rocking and rolling, off to the races. I wouldn't have been able to do that and I would not have been able to grow the company to being close to a million dollars in one year if I had to learn all of that by trial and error. Promise, I promise you that. I would, I'm not, I mean, maybe some people out there could. No way I would have been able to. If I didn't have the resources that I had with the PCA, the, the course that I took, using Sherwin-Williams and our sales rep to learn and take advice, never would have been able to grow something like this. It would have taken me a year and a half to really learn the hard way. And we learned the hard way in some individual jobs. But in gross and aggregate, I would have learned, had to learn the hard, hard way if I didn't take some of those shortcuts and be able to model after other people, right? And what they're doing, other successful people and what they're doing, not just anybody. You can't just follow anybody into the lines then. You gotta follow someone that's been through it before, that's successful, that has what you want, right? And so I'll get into our departments next, but that's another thing with just, you know, no, I haven't done any of the painting. I've, you know, since we've got the sales rep involved, I mean, I'll spend maybe, you know, a long day I'll spend four hours on the painting business. Um, on a short day, I'll spend zero. I would say on average, if you average it all out, since we started this thing, um, I would say that I probably average an hour and a half a day to two hours a day on the painting company myself, right? Not everyone's gonna start that way, and that's fine. Right? Not everyone's gonna do close to a million dollars in their first year, and that's fine. Some people will be able to go out and do more than $2 million, $3 million in their first year, no doubt about, no doubt about it, in whatever business you're starting. Um, my, my mindset with this painting company is, obviously I'm busy with my other companies, right? My main thing is my main thing, and that's real estate. It's built a lot of wealth for me. In our investors, and it's given a lot of people jobs and opportunity. I wanted to be able to provide a better service to our properties, I wanted to be able to keep more of the money that we give out to vendors um, to be able to buy more real estate, essentially, to be able to pump back in. Another nice thing with, with owning Prime Painters, and we're actually starting to get into flooring now, so I'm basically going through and figuring out production rates for flooring right now as well, and standard operating procedures so that we can bite that off. The nice thing about this is we don't have a vendor. If we have a property, sometimes when we're doing the value add deals, We'll have a property that starts to lag a little bit where our, 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 our occupancy drops, our vacancy rises because we're doing so much work at the property, right? We're remodeling so many units at once sometimes. With other vendors, we can't just choose not to pay, right? Most of our vendors, we negotiate that we have 30 days upon in, uh, receiving the invoice to pay. 
with Prime Painters, like Signature 23, we've had to take a lot of dollars and divert them into different units and a lot of unexpected things have happened there. So the cash flow there has gotten very tight. Signature 23 has received, I don't know, probably $30,000 30, of work from Prime Painters between drywall, priming, painting, you know, painting the common areas, apartments. Um, we did a couple partial demos and stuff like that. Prime Painters yet to see a dime of that. So we're just floating that to the property. That's another benefit of being in control of what's going on here and having more ownership, right? It's giving the property more flexibility to get other more important things done and use that money and then pay us later. I have no problem with that, right? So that's another benefit. So then we've been starting to do with, with all of our businesses is we've started to come up with a little bit more standard operating procedures across the whole company, right? Here. Prime Planners Painters Playbook, right? So now I'm going to go through the different divisions of the company. And do we always abide by this 100%? Can we just always play in this box? No. And I don't want everyone just to always play in this box. But at the same time, like, the more standard you can make things, the better. Because now you can plug people in and out. You can grow a lot faster. This is how we do things around here. There's, no, there's not a gray area of like, oh, I don't know what I should do here. And now they go, you know, people, I want to be able to set people up for success. I don't want them to not know their boundaries and where they can't go or can't play, right? I want them to know their boundaries, what what's expected. And so this has our different divisions, right? And through here, we've got the sales process, right? And if you're listening right now, I've got the, this playbook in my hand. Once again, you should go watch this, right? And then after that, after we sell a job, we've got the production process. All right, we got a few pages on there. What, one and a half, two and a half. And we're always adding to this and adapting. I've really been, actually this is, I have a better playbook for Prime Painters than I do for Spalding Group right now. It's been tougher on the Spalding Group side to implement. The Prime Painters side, it's been a lot easier to implement. And then we've got project management process, right? So you sell a job and you gotta produce the job. While you're producing the job, you gotta manage the job. You got the accounting process. Because through there, you got to collect the money. You got to pay the bills, right? You got the HR process. We're still filling that one out, right? But those are kind of our core silos or core processes within Prime Painters. And you just have to, you got to know what you got to do every single time, right? Like McDonald's, I was reading something. McDonald's has like, you know, they can plug, actually, Modine, you worked at McDonald's, right? Yeah. Not like, I've read some on this. Is it true? I guess you're the person to ask maybe. Is it true that they have like a 37 step process to create a cheeseburger? No. Oh, it's not? It's one. Oh. But they have... Maybe 10. Okay, 10. But they have like 10 straight like steps, basically. This yeah. is our process, right? Yeah, it's, like they started like... You have to do like two cheeseburgers at a time. Started like this. Make. Mm-hmm. So, but they got it like... And it's probably like, do you go in there and... Did you, did you make burgers when you were there? Yeah. So... Once. So, like once. But most time when people start making burgers there... Like the first few days, like they probably read something. They probably have something. Yeah. They have a tablet yeah. and they have a list, right? Basically check off, check off the box, right? So the most successful companies in the world have standard processes. And that's because they can pump people in and out. Like Maudine just said, peace out, McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> can I tell you? Can I say that? Sure. <laughs> you know, you know Maudine just has said, hey, peace out, McDonald's. I'm going to work for Spalding Group now, be a content creator there. Um, so now McDonald's has to replace with 
somebody that, you know, Medine's job and whatever he was doing there at McDonald's, whether it's the burgers or whatever, everything, what, what else were you doing at McDonald's? Medine? What was your main thing there, Medine? Customer service. Customer service. Yeah. But even for customer service, they, they, do they have a list? Sure. So they, so McDonald's has their standard operating procedures that they want to abide by because it's, it's not, and for me, it's not so much, I want to keep people in a cage and this is how we do things here. And it's not like micromanaging, although it's micromanaging to an extent. I, I mean, I do, I want things to be done in a uniform standard manner, just from the standpoint of like things change. Like we've had painters already come and go, just like Maudine is leaving. He went to McDonald's, worked there for how long? Six months. And now he's gone. Right, so now the next guy that fills a spot, probably like McDonald's usually for most people is not a long-term, it's a starter job and it's like, it's not a long, long-term thing. Maudine's been, just graduated high school, like going to college, it's not a long-term thing for most people, right? So when you have a lot of turnover, which in any business that I've been a part of, we've, we've always had a decent amount of turnover, right? Um, the more standard you can make everything, now you can start to plug people in and out. So if I go through this, I'm gonna start in the sales process. This is how we do, this is how we do things at Prime Painters, right? Now, this is how we should be doing things at Prime Painters. Is this always to a T 100%? No, I, I would say it's not. Should it be? Yeah, I mean, we should be as close as possible. But obviously the first step, and I'm not gonna read each thing, but the first thing is obviously generate the leads, right? So I, I've got on here choosing the marketing mediums, which is, hey, pay for lead platforms such as HomeAdvisor, Craftjack, Thumbtack, Facebook, Google AdWords, other. Right. The other thing, I've, the other reason I've got these written down is so that we can go through and check. Like we can go through and check. Okay, what was right now? What does our advertisement look like on Home Advisor? What does it look like on Thumbtack Facebook? It reminds us, right? It keeps me in check. It keeps us in check. These are the things that we have to pay attention to. Then, um, then I, on here, I've just got, hey, make sure on these websites we only have checked off and we're paying for leads for services that we actually provide. Right. If we're only doing exterior painting, interior painting and power washing, I want to make sure that we don't have window installs checked so that we're paying for leads that are looking for window install. Right. And then it's choosing the branding mediums. I talked about spending money on branding before we had dollars allocated there. So we obviously then have to choose which platforms those dollars are going into. And it's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, flyers, billboards, other um, the lead database. Once we get a lead, I've talked about this on my show before. Right. Once you're in our lead system, you're always going to be in our lead system. You can say, take me off that list. What do you got there? Oh, the, like, tutorials, how to oh tutorials from McDonald's. Yeah. So Madine, right now we're talking about the thing, the, the standard operating processes at McDonald's. That's unbelievable. I Let me see it. Because I am a crew trainer. Oh, gotcha. Cool. So yeah, McDonald's literally has on an app, like McDonald's digital education, McDonald's digital education, leading organizational handbook. One, guest experience leader. Two, entrance and kiosk. Three, service. So these are all different sections they have for each different, like what the guest experience leader should be doing, what the entrance person at the kiosk should be doing, what the service should be like. Um, that's cool. So they literally have it on an app so that these guys always know what they should be doing. Right, so now if I get back to this, we even got, you know, on here I've got lead database and what it should look like. We should have their name, the da da da, like every, all the information that I want, right? Their email, their cell phone number, 
right? Then it comes down to contacting leads. How are we contacting them? How often are we contacting them? If they don't answer, what do we do? If they do answer, what do we do? If they don't answer on the first try, when are we calling back and contacting again? If they don't answer on the second try, third try, fourth try, fifth try, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 follow-up times here on when you're supposed to follow up. And that's not just for painting. That should be just about for anything. Um, then we got step three, the estimate. So once you get a hold of the lead, you got to schedule the estimate. Now we're going to talk about scheduling the estimate. Make sure you're scheduling the estimate with uh, a time where all decision makers can be present. Confirm the estimate in time the day before with the client. So that we're not wasting time driving to an estimate with no confirmation that they're going to be there. Right? Then we've got actually conducting the estimate. Starting with build a rapport with the client. Ask the client what their needs are. What are they looking for? Do a walk around the house with the client. Like I've literally got it bullet point by bullet point. And when we start someone new, when the sales rep started, he went through this and watched videos similar to what McDonald's, what Madine just brought up on his phone. On McDonald's, it's similar to that. It's the same type of thing, right? So that's the estimate and conducting the estimate. Then for the sales process, then we've got, once you're through the estimate, now it's like, hey, yes or no, right? Well, if they say no, now they go in our follow-up bucket and this is how it works, right? I've got that in here. If they say yes, now we're going to draft and execute the contract. What does that look like, right? I've got 18 steps. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 steps for drafting and executing a contract. If they say yes and they accept the contract, Right, which by the way, about we're hoping about 50% of the people that we get a lead from become an estimate. Um, once they're an estimate, we hope you know about uh, we hope we convert convert right away. We hope we convert about 40 to 45% of those. Right, so the 45% that say yes, we're going to create a scope of work. We're going to collect their deposit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. For the you know 60 to 55% that say no. Once again, we've got the follow-up process. Now they're gonna stay in our database, right? And our database is broken down. And once again, this doesn't. This is not just painting. This is the same stuff that I do raising millions of dollars in real estate. I've got, uh, you have, we have a leads tab in Excel. And yes, we're still just using Excel. We're not even fancy enough to be buying Salesforce. I probably should be looking at Salesforce or something like that or a CRM, but we use Excel. Um, we've got leads in one tab. Once they've converted and become an estimate, we move them from the leads and, and keep all their information, all the information, it's literally, we, we copy and paste the whole row of that lead. We then paste it into the estimates tab. Then we add the estimate amount, how much it was. And then if it becomes a job, we move it to the job one and what the total amount is and et cetera, et cetera. And then we have some job stats and how much materials we actually used and how much labor we actually had, right? So we have, we have stats and all that stuff. So we know where we can then get better, right? We know that if we're projecting our guys are gonna paint this 300 square feet per hour, but then we actually see the job, it's like, oh shit, like we, we projected that was gonna be done in 42 man hours, it took 60, why? Well, sometimes it takes 60 because we got the brand new guy on that team so he could get experience. That's an investment, that's okay, that's gonna happen. He's gonna get trained up, that's not gonna happen all the time. But if it was a crew that we always are accustomed to having out there on the job, why'd it take that much longer? Right, and now we're gonna look into it, ask questions. Did we run across something that was more challenging? Did we underbid it? Are our numbers off? Were we working higher and there was more time that we needed to allocate for? We gotta start asking questions so now we can change things, once again, know our costs, know our benchmarking, and what things are actually costing us to then charge adequately for the job. I don't care, if we don't get the job, we don't get the job. We gotta make money on the jobs, and we're not in this to lose money, right?
All right, then creating scope of work, right? So now once the job is said yes, think about this, right? The process is the sales rep is gonna go set the estimate up. The sales rep is gonna go do the estimate. The sales rep is gonna be in communication. Once the job is signed, the sales rep is done. The deposit gets uh, uh, collected by accounting, right? So when he gets a completed uh, contract, sends it to accounting. Accounting reaches out for the deposit. Our sales rep will touch deposit if on the spot the people want to sign up. Okay, I'll take a 25% payment. You can write a check. I'll take it to the office. Other than that, like once it's signed, they're pretty much done. They're going to create the scope of work. And the scope of work is important because the scope of work is what's going to translate the job, what's included, what's not included, what type of paint is used, what color, uh, what, you know, it's, it's going to basically let production know and communicate the job the communication we've had issues here and that was something that we had to figure out we figured out finally like three or four months ago how to go about this and we have a really good system in place now but there used to be a lapse in that communication and sales would take a job close it and then sometimes we did end up with an unhappy customer because it wasn't followed all the way through not because our guys were intentionally not doing their job or being lazy or whatever there was a lack of communication there was a, a gap in the snaps there that didn't connect that um wasn't communicated if it's not communicated our guys don't know about it they can't our guys and gals don't know about it. they can't produce on it right if they can't produce on it we're gonna have an unhappy client right now we made all those things right we went back and did it right hey we're gonna take care of this for it they ended up happy we've had issues there so the creating of the scope of work one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen wait which page am I on here fourteen so the creating the scope of work is 14 steps for the sales rep to follow. Make sure you have all that information. If we have all that information, we haven't had problems. It's like this. It's like the business will work like clockwork. Like I'll wipe my hands and that's why I only have to be involved for an hour. When we have issues, there's usually an issue in the scope of work, communication with our production team, right? And then once again, we've got the follow-up. So the sales rep, we do want the sales rep following up on non-responsive uh, leads, unsigned estimates, and contract. And once again, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen times to follow up. And if it doesn't happen on the thirteenth, they're still staying in our lead database because every three months after that, at a minimum, they're getting reached out to. So it's actually going to be more. It's thirteen touches in the first three months after signing the contract. And then also communication and follow up with past clients to number one, con con contact them, talk to them, thank them for their business, see how they, you know, see that they're still enjoying the, our project and our work, obtain and ask for a five-star review online, uh, check to see if they have any other projects coming up and asking for referrals. I'm telling you, this should be done in every business though. We need to be better in this and on the Spalding Group side when it comes to our properties. Like it should just be to a T, like everybody knows what we're doing and we're getting closer like we've closed the gap, we were this far apart, and now we're like, we're getting so close. Um, but then we've got the production progress process, right? This is how we product the, produce the jobs, our on-site contract, um, our, our on-site conduct, and how we should be acting, and how we should be presenting ourselves, and what we should be wearing, and what we should be saying, and how we introduce ourselves. Uh, equipment and tools, they talk about job site safety, interior jobs. Um, the prep work, completing a job, jobs that last multiple days, what are we doing uh, as far as like where we're storing equipment and all that stuff in, in between like overnight. Um, exterior work, talking about production rates and how guys should be 
using job codes to track their time, how we order and buy inventory. And these are just like the headlines. Each of these headlines I'm reading has anywhere from two to eight steps, two to eight things that need to be done. Painter training, how we do cabinets, how we do doors, base trim, wallpaper, uh, how we refinish wood floors, which is new for us because we're starting to get in flooring. How we handle change orders. A big issue with us, right, and this can be for any business, a big issue for us was a client, we'd be on the job, client would ask a painter, hey, oh, by the way, can you do this? And all of a sudden, hours start adding up, and I started to see our, our estimated hours, like 40 hours was estimated, it took 46. Why did it take 46, Clark? Well, she asked me to do the vents. She asked me to do the, out, the switches. She asked me to do the trim. And I just said, so the, from that standpoint forward, I said, hey, guys, all change orders, if, they, if it is not on the scope of work that you get, this sheet of paper, if it's not on the scope of work, it doesn't mean that we won't do it. It means that we need to get a change order in because we have to allocate for that time. We can't just sit there and do free work, right? So now we have a change order process, right? Then we've got project management. So how these projects should be managed by the managers who are managing them. And then we've got the accounting process, how we're collecting money, how we're paying bills, how we're doing financials, how we're budgeting. It's all right there. You know what the unique thing is, not the unique thing, but what the cool thing is, is if you think about the big silos that I had, the sales process, right? It doesn't say the painting sales process. It just says the sales process. So the sales process can be good for a marketing agency. It can be good for an investment firm. It can be good for a bank. It can be good for car sales. It can be good for anything because any business will die without sales to generate revenue right then guess what the next process the next uh, big silo in my sheet here was was the production process that we just went over it doesn't say the painting production process because now we do flooring too right it's just the production process right every business has to produce a good it doesn't have to be a physical good it's either, it's either got to be a good or a service so how are you producing that good or service right this is how you can scale this is how you can get more people on board quicker faster Right. If you have a little bit of turnover, it's okay because hey, here's how we do things when you come here. You can interview people. You interview. We interview people. I do not care about how talented they are. Madim came in technically with no content creator experience. Yes, I mean he, he's done stuff on TikTok, some cool videos and stuff like that, but no professional experience. You just graduated high school, Ryder. Just graduated high school. Yeah, man, you can be our sales rep. Like guys coming in that we're hiring, no, I don't have any you know, significant painting background, but you know what? I hire around our core values at our company. You decide what your core values are, hire around those. And then if you have the, the processes here, you should be able to teach them how to do these jobs. Once again, this is, I think that this is true for 98% of the businesses out there. Again, there's the 2% where Elon Musk needs an engineer and there's probably an engineer that you can't just teach overnight how to do versus painting versus content creating versus you know being my job I, everything that i do can be taught you can learn how to do it re relatively quickly i just out i will outwork you that that's the main thing so if you're willing to put in time it doesn't matter what the business is you can go out and do this um so it's the production process right most all companies are producing something a good or a service what's your process for it then the next silo we had was project management process. How are you managing your production? Who's overseeing it? That's for any business. 
the accounting process, right? Every business has to have an accounting process. Otherwise, the money come in and what just sits in your, like they can write you a check, they can pay you electronically online, but if there's no accounting process, that money just sits there in the bank account and now you're not paying your bills. You don't have any uh, people getting paid their salary when the paychecks are due. You don't have, you know, if, if, if they're just writing checks, where are the checks going? How are the checks being handled? Who's depositing checks? You just throw them on the floor and let them build up? It's a process of, of how you're handling that stuff. Then the other thing is we have the HR process. So those are our processes that we have in our business. And you could, you know, once again, that'll cover you for 98% of the businesses you're going to start right there. What else, Modine? I know we're probably like an hour in right now. 58. So let me go through some of these questions again. So how did I initially fund it? For me, it was savings, right? I had savings. I had, but it's not like I put in 50 grand. I put in $4,000. If I really was someone that was desperate, if this was me eight years ago in 2012 bootstrapping a business, and if I didn't have the four grand to front, I, I could have started what I would have done. I would have bought probably $100. Okay, this is actually what I would have done first. If I had zero money, how I would do it is I would actually go sell a job first. I would go knock on a door and I would, I would knock on 500 doors in a week. I would find someone who needed painting to be done. If, I'm, if this is the actual situation where I don't have an office, I don't have any other equipment or employees, I can be much more competitive on my price, right? So I would, I would do whatever to get that first job where I essentially, you know, if it's a job that I charge, we charge $4,000 for now, Maybe I would go in there and say, I'll bust my butt. I'll do this job for a thousand bucks. You give someone a great deal, right? You get the contract signed with a 25% deposit. What just happened? You created, you, you just got a contract for a thousand bucks. You got 25% down. They're going to pay you 250. What am I going to do with that 250? I'm going to go put that 250. I'm going to, my basic accounting process tells me I got to go put that in the bank and then reinvest it. I'm going to go out of that 250. I'm going to go buy probably a hundred dollars. In, in equipment. I'm gonna go buy a paintbrush, a roller, and a tray. The rest of the money I'm gonna use to buy part of the product or all the product that they need to paint the house. And then when I'm done and I've created, I've, I've done that job and maybe that job takes me five days. I don't know how long it takes me, six days. They pay me another 750, right? It's just me. I don't have any other costs going out. You just made a thousand bucks. So you don't have to have, I did the $4,000 route thing because I had, there was other things that I wanted to do to save time. And if I wanted to save more time, I probably could have wrote a $10,000 check or a $15,000 check, $150,000 check and, and hired more people right out of the gate. But I'm someone that the more, the closer that you can start from the bottom, the people who are going to be most successful are the people that will start closest to the bottom. So they understand and know and have the concepts of how to do everything. That's the thing in real estate. I, I started the very, like when I bought the first property, I was the manager, I was the leasing agent, I was the marketer, I was the maintenance tech, I was the lawnmower, I was shoveling snow, I was, what else is there to do? I was signing leases and sending leases out, I was working on lease renewals, I was going, to, I was taking people to eviction court, I was, you know, working with the attorney, I was being the accountant, I was doing everything. 
doesn't mean that I'm perfect at anything. And I, actually, I was really bad at a lot. But now I at least know the process. And once you know the process, now it's just a matter of being able to fill in the voids once you can, right? So now go do a second, third, and fourth painting job. Work your tail off. Work 90-hour weeks for very little pay up front for yourself. And then start, once you start to get some money, start to like, okay, I'm not good at the painting. Like, let's get a painter in here. Now you go keep selling jobs. But now you got to turn that $1,000 job probably into more of $1,500 or $2,000 job because now you're paying someone else and you still need money left over in the business, right? So the more overhead you have, the more people you have, obviously you need to, you're going to be charging more, right? Um, so that's how I started. That was how much money that I started, ballpark, about how much money. And then along the way, so, then, so then the question was, the full question is, how did you initially fund it? And then the rest of the question is, was it some of your own money all along the way or more org organic growth and bootstrapping? So after the initial 4,000, um, after the initial 4,000, that was all bootstrapping. I bootstrapped the rest of it. So I would take my profits, I would just roll it forward, we'd buy more equipment, started buying trucks, we're paying for trucks and cash, like when the company does what, like we're, we're, when we need more trucks, buy trucks and cash, I think we have one vehicle back there that has a loan on it, buy the equipment and cash, right? And we put it on credit card, get some credit card points, but turn around, pay it off right away, we talk about that. Hey, did you go do that last week, by the way? So they got something, they have a product for you. My man, getting his credit up. Did they, so did they have to offset it with a bank account to start or no? Yeah, because. Your dad? Yeah. Oh, cool. So your dad got a thousand bucks for you. <laughs> your dad going to split some of that with you? No. Whoa, man. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Um, so no, Maudine had a question last week about how to get a credit card or something like that, how to improve a credit score. I told him, man, go get a credit card, go to your local bank. They got some type of program. You can get a credit card. It'll be like a hundred. What's the limit? hundred, two hundred dollars, 250 maybe you even know 250. So, but he's just going to use it for gas, like things that he already needs and then not have to pay interest on it. Turn around, pay it off right away. Start to build his credit a little bit. Uh, give him more credit opportunity. That credit will turn into from 250 to 500 to 750 to 1,000, right? And his credit score will go up too. So that's cool, Maudine. Way to go. Did you take action on that right away that same day? Did you take action on that right away the same day last week? Damn. What day did you do it? Okay. So you waited 48 hours. Yeah. Okay. Well, you had to go into work after you were here on Friday? Yeah, I was here. All right. Okay. Weekend. All right. All right. That's pretty good time though. You got after it. Um, so that's going to be a wrap for the Justin Spalding show episode 14. And we're going to come back and answer more questions on, uh, the very next episode, um, episode 15 and go deeper into the prime painters, uh, questions and stuff like that. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're watching, please subscribe. Please subscribe to YouTube. I mean, I waited like an hour to even say that once. So if you've made it this far, please subscribe. If you're listening, same thing. Go to YouTube, subscribe to my channel, and we'll talk to you later.